One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Drop your shoulders, take a breath. Tune in to how you feel because it's time to stretch. Hello and welcome back to a new season of Stretchmarks podcast. My name is Sinead O'Moore and I created Stretchmarks to give us all an opportunity to acknowledge the parts of life that are stretching us in all directions. Not just the physical, but the mental, emotional, hormonal, professional, financial, identity, partnership, energetic stretches we all go through. Because there is no right or wrong, there is no picture perfect, there are just a series of stretches one after the other that leave their mark. This episode is sponsored by Carrywell, maternity wear that makes breastfeeding and pregnancy as comfortable as possible. Carrywell is the support we need with their maternity and nursing underwear, made specifically for our growing needs before, during and after pregnancy. Embrace the stretch of motherhood confidently with Carrywell and this podcast. Fertility is a very personal journey understandably so personal, it's often completely private. But that can leave us at risk of only hearing some commercial promises and the good news. So where is the messy middle? Claire Walsh is a successful author and TED talker. She is not shy to challenge or resilience, being the first person to represent Ireland at the free diving World Championships in 2019 and is one woman who certainly knows how important it is to take a breath. As she teaches and talks about breath and what it can do for our body and mind in sea and on land, she is strong and brave and she is in the messy middle of subfertility. We talk about illusions being shattered, her relationship with hope, the indignity of the physical process and the power games between you and an industry who hold the keys to life. This is a moving conversation with a woman who doesn't know how the story ends and who is being stretched between what could be and what this is. Claire Walsh, you are so welcome to the Stretch Marks podcast. Um, Today's episode, this conversation, it's going to be very powerful because I've already seen the type of way that you have expressed what you're going through I admire it. I respect it. I find it incredibly empowering and really dignified, but it is painful. And I and I want to share my gratitude to you for finding that courage to talk about your current stretch. Thank you. Um, dignified is a really nice word. Um, I take that as a huge, huge compliment. In fact, I'm going to pop it up on my notice board in front of me because I think there's so much about <laughs> Fertility, infertility, that's so undignified, it's so raw, it's so visceral, whether that's 
physical elements or or emotional elements. So um, to reach any sort of even illusion of dignity is absolutely a win. Tell me when did you start to acknowledge that your body wasn't aligning with your personal wishes? Again, a really super way of putting it. Um, I think probably just a little over a year ago, a little over a year ago. Um, um, I'm So my experience is a good few people close to me have gone through journeys of IVF. Um, they were younger than me when they started and they had quite long journeys. Let's see how many times I say the word journeys in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> if you're drinking tea, take a sip. <laughs> um, so I think I think I was I was cognizant of of what it requires, and you know, no woman who wants children gets to the age of forty and thinks this is going to be a breeze. Mm. I, I was shocked if there are, you know, kind of it, it's it's so ingrained that we're running out of time. So I think I was really aware of that. Um, I come off the back of a really busy period. I turned 40. I got married at a wedding and I just submitted my book. So it was chaotic. So, you know, in the background, we were trying and there was an element of, oh, it won't happen. And if it does, you're great. It's a blessing. And kind of when we came out of that a little bit, a couple of months later, you know, you're thinking, right, I'm going to be really proactive. I'm going to get ahead of this. Um, and I'm going to start uh, an appointment just to get things, get the ball rolling, get things investigated. We may not even need it. I don't know how many times I said that. And I think within that, there's an element of if I say that, I'll probably surprisingly get pregnant. You know, you're, there's all these unconscious games you're playing with yourself. If I book an appointment with the fertility um, doctor, I'll probably end up getting pregnant just before it. You know, I don't know. For me, anyway, I kept on thinking of scenarios like this. Planning future things. It's like, oh, well, should I say yes to that event that's in six mm-hmm. months? Because I probably, you know, I may not want to travel then because I'll be pregnant. You oh, know, yeah. I won't buy that now, actually, even though it's beautiful because it won't fit me in a month. And it's funny. So when we were starting this, we had my cousin's wedding was last September. So that was kind of, you know, nine months away from it. And I kept on thinking, oh, gosh, I wonder, will I say, oh, no, I will. I'll say yes. And look, he'll understand if, you know, if, if I'm having a baby and I can't go and then change. OK, well, what will I wear? Because hopefully I'll be six months pregnant. And I found that day really hard. Mm-hmm. Nothing's different. So it is funny, the markers that 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 kind of pop in through your calendar like obviously it was a wonderful day and you know you're, you're so happy for a, a young excited couple but obviously like I think a theme that's going to come up pretty often in in this chat is a duality and mm-hmm. um, coexistent coexistence of two very opposing emotions so for example that day I I found it really charming how obviously happy and oh just so in a bubble happy these this young couple was and whilst myself and my husband were just over a year married and we're in the depths of something very real and very not shiny Mm. does that make sense you know so again it's, it's lots and lots of stark contrast and 
and managing like you know you can to feel two very different things at one time so there's lots of moments of that but just like you said you know you're planning things do I buy things do I not um and it is mad how quickly a year passes and you're in the exact same position Christmas was a hard one Christmas was definitely a hard one um yeah, is that because of imagined because of imagine because Christmas is such a marker anyway like obviously where it's placed in the calendar you know at the end of the year and and reflection and I like Christmas I love Christmas in fact I love the the traditions the family element the magic you know I'm I definitely buy into it um and I think you know last year so my, my husband is Muslim and didn't grow up with Christmas or any experience of it other than what he saw on TV. So last year I was explaining what Santa looks like. Now he finds this gas. He's like, so this guy that you don't know breaks into your house and leaves presents for you and he can see you when you're sleeping. And we love him for it, you know. <laughs> this is it. When you break it down and explain, you're going, yeah, no, I totally get how it sounds really <laughs> Um, so I'm trying to explain the non-tangible elements of Santa, the magic, the excitement, how still to this day at 41 years old, I never really sleep through the night on Christmas Eve. It's like historical excitement is still somewhere in my body. I think it is incredible. Um, so, you know, explaining this to Booty last year in the hope that this year we would be doing it or doing it with a bump. So that marker I definitely found difficult. Um, yeah, that, 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 that was hard. And it's the passing of a calendar and a yes. feeling of it's not 2023. Exactly. And my birthday falls a couple of weeks before Christmas, um, in November. So it, it's marking of another age, um, which when you are going through fertility treatments, it's a really tough one. I found them really tough. What led you to deciding now is the time that I need to get some help. Well, yeah, so going back to that original appointment that I thought, well, look, sure, I'll just get the ball rolling. We probably won't need it. So, you know, that appointment passed and it was more of a general MOT, um, bloods and, you know, scans and things like that. And then it continued on for a month or so. And then, you know, there was kind of a sense of well there's no reason why this shouldn't be happening and not really sure and so you're we were recommended to go to a doctor that specializes in in fertility um and again she looked she was really thorough which was incredible um so again you're kind of maybe one way to describe it is my foot was on both sides of the fence I was tentatively exploring what fertility treatments might look like, but I still kind of thought deep down mm. what happened itself on its own. So a couple of months into that, uh, we were told maybe given time constraints, time constraints being my age, um, it's time to start IVF. And I kind of thought, well, surely we're not there yet. How about we, we wait another couple of months? And... They said, well, look, I think you should probably get the ball rolling. And that was a really hard weekend, actually. Um, I think it was the end, it was the end of April, start of May last year. It's funny, there are markers throughout that I really remember. Excuse me, that weekend was a very difficult one. Um, there's a, a strange sense of loss or 
you're suddenly into a new world and you're rapidly learning this vocabulary and what the acronyms stand for, uh, the financial uh, minefield that it is. So you become fluent in this new language really, really quickly. And uh, the fertility doctor we were seeing, um, I remember actually had a consultation with her yesterday and, and, and we I, I reminded her of this. We were talking about PGT, um, which I now cannot remember. Pre-genetic testing, sorry, I couldn't remember what it stood for. Um, and we were talking about that, the benefits of it, you know, the pros and cons, the costs and all of this. And she just said, can I just say, I'm really sorry you have to know what that stands for and what it means. And it, it did stop me in my tracks. Um, you, you don't realise how quickly you become enveloped by this world. You know, I had spreadsheets and I had the costings from different uh, clinics in Ireland and then where we could travel to do it and the costings were there and the pros and cons. So, you know, I was quite methodical about it because I was afraid of the emotional element. So to focus on the practical was probably easier. So that was probably May. And then things just went a little bit arseways. Um, they found some some cells that had to be looked into. You know, you get all these checks before you go ahead with any treatment. And my checks threw up some cells that had to be removed and, and various other things. So it just seemed there was a lot happening gyne gynecologically, um, which was just so full on. Yeah, it was really, really full on. So we, we started our first cycle, I think, the end of July, start of August. And then shit got real. And then shit got real. And this is this is specifically why I wanted to talk to you now. I've talked about fertility and IVF in various ways in the last few years, either on Every Mom or on Stretch Marks podcast. Mm. But in 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 the terms of retrospectively. Yeah. And that retrospection comes also with the minimization of some of the symptoms, A, because of time mm. and time passing. And we are as humans good at uh forgetting, minimizing. Yeah again, that memory of some of the things that are quite distressing in our life, mm. especially if the goal was achieved. Exactly. Exactly. And I also am going to add in there, I think also because of trauma, um, certainly in my experience, there were, and obviously this is not um, a, a carte blanche, this is not a carrying everything in the same bush. This was my experience. However, since sharing my experience, I'm learning that it's not that unusual, which I think is the unfortunate thing. So there's definitely some elements that maybe in years time I'll forget. I kind of hope I do and um, because you're in it and you're moving so quickly. So there isn't time to go. This is fucked for want of a better word. This is absolutely fucked. The situation that we're in, but you're moving so quickly um, you're making decisions. You're also physically, mentally compromised. So everything is it takes on a kind of blur, dreamlike quality it did for me anyway. And my experience of IVF, IVF before, say any of my friends did it, um, you know, it's people who will talk about it. There's no detail, which obviously everyone's entitled to privacy. 
but it's spoken about with a baby safely in their arms. So the, the perception of IVF is that it's a silver bullet for couples struggling to conceive naturally. I, I presume there's a better phrase for naturally nowadays, um, but without assistance. And that is just so absolutely not the case. And I think the difficulty in believing that is what gets parroted back to you when you're in the thick of it. Through pure ignorance, it might be the best of intentions, but pure ignorance. And that was one of the main, uh, kind of the words, the main reason, one of the reasons for me speaking about it. The things people were saying to me, I, I am quite open. I tend to share, certainly with my my, my family and friends saying, look, we're, we're doing this. Um, but the things that people were saying were absolutely devastating. And, you know, I can't emphasize enough. It was done with good intention. But the so, for example, uh, someone said to me, you know, how many rounds have you done? And at that point, I think we did three. Just, oh, sure, you're going to have to do loads more before it's look. Now, my friend's friends, her daughter, she did seven and she's a baby. So just keep going, keep the head down. And like, I really appreciate the good wishes, the the desire that that person had for me for a positive outcome. But what they're not aware of is what they're asking of me. So let's take the person who's done three. And if for some bizarre reason, there was a guarantee you'd get it by seven. So to do another four, firstly, you're talking about nearly maybe 20 grand. Very first, something that's very easy to measure is money. And mm-hmm. um, the less easy things, the the things that aren't as tangible are the the mental and emotional toll. I was destroyed after three. Um, the the toll I was taking on my sense of self, my um, ability to emotionally regulate, and uh, my ability to work, my partner our stress levels, our nervous systems, how we were in a relationship, how we interacted with the world and so on. So saying repeat that another four times, I was kind of, I don't think I can. So it comes down. Yeah, exactly. And it comes down to this thing of, is it because I'm not resilient enough? So all these internal, you know, internal dialogues are happening. And I did, I shared a video on it and, um, you know, likening, let's do another round, as uh, you know, likening it to buying another round of drinks at the bar. Mm. Not the same. Mm. And again, it's this idea of that IVF is a silver, silver bullet. And, you know, because I feel historically people only speak about if they've been successful and some of the more humbling details get glossed over for good reason. And you know, obviously we can never fully understand something unless we've gone through it to some extent. But actually the the dialogue around it, I found to be quite destructive. Um, I understood it was well-meaning. But it, it was destructive for me. You said then the treatment started and shit got real. Hmm. What does that look like at a very real personal experience like what was happening to you physically emotionally hormonally mentally how did it shift Claire from a you know Mm. before to now this is my present lived reality 
I think August was probably fine. I was taking um, medication in the lead up to so stim stimulation medication. So the typically what I would have thought of as IVF medications is the injections. Um, so it's the lead up. So it is uh, estrogen. Um, so that was kind of, it's funny, it made my stomach really, really sick. Um, so I couldn't eat much. I I found I just wanted to eat plain toast or digestive biscuits. So something really plain and that I could chew. And, you know, you're queasy in the morning. There's lack of, there's tiredness. And then you realize this is fucking mimicking like the first, like what I would, my concept of morning sickness. How cruel is this? So the minute that that clicks in your brain, you're going, this is just so shit. You know, there's just such a cruel irony to it. But, you know, you're still hopeful. Uh, I was worried about the injections. Um, I have fainted at the prospect of needles before. Um, so Booty did the first one for me and the second one has to be done around the same time uh, the next day. And I deliberately said, will you go into the office tomorrow? It means he'll be gone at that time and I will have to do it myself. <laughs> so I did a kind of a Braveheart-esque warrior cry and I just stabbed myself in the abdomen. You actually don't have to do that. Um, so, you know, it was just uh, just get this over and done with and then it's totally fine. So it was a pleasant surprise in that. The, the injection. ceremonial in a way as well. Though. Oh, it just was. Something, you know, yeah. that fierceness out of you. That, like, I have. why do I have to do this to my body? Yeah, summoning my my inner queen Maeve. Mm. Um, just battle with this thing now. Absolutely. Um, so you know, the the injections are a pleasant surprise. They're not they're not nice, but um they weren't as big a deal. Um then mm, mm, the clinic we were at attending has recently been in the news, or there was an article released about it. Um, all the all the uh, information in the article predates our time there. However, we didn't have a very positive experience. Okay. So you are so you're on your stimulation drugs, which is an injection in the evening, and then day five, seven, depending on their protocol, you get called in for a for a scan. So they're seeing you know what what's growing uh, in your follicles and stuff um and uh nothing was happening nothing was happening um and you know you're told this with your leg in legs and stirrups um you're trying to decipher shapes on the screen i didn't know what a follicle looked like before then um and a doctor tells you this whilst you know essentially addressing your vulva um and it was a really dehumanizing experience um from that point on I got my I got booty to come with me to come into that scan and if any information was given to me that they asked to wait until I sit up it's yeah. very hard to take an information with a probe inside you um and it just becomes really it's it's really vulnerable. I would consider well, I'm thinking I, I haven't gone through this experience, okay, mm. but I have gone through other medical experiences. And mm. that is not what happens. You are examined, 
And there is then that, you know, look, and nobody likes kind of physical examinations of any of any sort. OK, but you are examined. You redress. You sit back at the, the desk mm. and a conversation begins. That is a respectful way and a secure way of of saying, you know, come back into yourself, come back in, you know, and the relationship moves forward. Is that is that knowing what you know? by talking to other people, is that regular that that's what happened? I don't think so, to be honest. And I yeah. spoke to a doctor about this um, kind of around Christmas um, and they kind of, oh, that's like Bedside Manor 101. Yeah. You don't do it. However, they did say sometimes, you know, they're they're processing information, they're planning protocol. So this person said, sometimes I find myself starting to say something nine times out of 10, I will catch myself and go, do you know what? sit up, get dressed, come in and we'll have a chat. Yeah. He said, look, sometimes I forget. Um, but in my experience with with that doctor, um, that happened more times than not. Um, and a really big part of um, IVF fertility that um, made me want to speak about it was the voice of the woman in the whole process. And that was the reason if if people follow me on Instagram, Claire Walsh Live, they'll seen that I they'll have seen that I did share that article that came out. And the reason is to name and isn't actually to name and shame the clinic, um, because it does predate me. But I did want to speak about it. I didn't want I did want to name something that I felt during the process. And that is really vulnerable and slightly gagged. Mm. You're with a clinic, and I don't for a minute think that the clinic I was with is the only clinic that, you know, does this or has done this. And they're, you know, I'm asking questions. I'm paying a lot of money. I'm asking questions. There are definitely gaps in what I'm being told. Um, I'm tr- I've am i kind of promised myself I wouldn't, you know, consult Dr. Google. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found myself having to do that to get relevant information so it was was all really um patchy so that in in normal time Claire is fine I can handle that and I can advocate and be polite and ask for what I need in Claire that has been on some form of hormones Claire that is about to start a fertility treatment that she's already nervous about everything gets heightened um and we found ourselves asking questions and having them answered, having them not answered, getting a, quite a high level of defensiveness that we felt was disproportionate to what we were asking. Um, and then this kind of continued and it became, and I really dislike the overuse of the word gaslighting, but in its truest definition, I felt like we were being gaslighted. Mm. And suddenly you find yourself in a position where you're going, we've just paid six grand. We've already spent four doing tests. Mm-hmm. These people are going to be responsible for the doctors I see. These doctors are going to be doing internal scans. They're going to be answering my questions, not answering them. They're going to be hopefully getting my eggs. They're going to be creating my app. And suddenly I just felt so trapped. Um, I remember saying to my sister, who 
I worked in hospitality for years and years and years. I said, what's the um, IVF equivalent of spitting in my food? I feel like they're going to do that. So suddenly I found myself not being able to question, you know, biting back. Um, It doesn't take much to be a difficult woman. Absolutely. And I have no doubt they mark your file. Maybe that's completely wrong. Um, But you're worried that they are. You're marked as difficult. And then suddenly I find myself going, just be nice to them, Claire. Don't challenge them. Just take your injections. And then I hear that dialogue and go, who the heck is that girl? That's not me. It's a really weird, it's a really disconcerting position to be in. So essentially you are so vulnerable. They have so much power. And not only that, you are paying so much for the privilege. And the consequence. The consequence is is life-changing. Yep. Do I get a parent or not? Yeah. It's a big two roads diverge in the yellow wood. Um, so, and again, I do need to caveat a lot of this with our experience wasn't all bad. And we did have a, a consultant who I feel genuinely cared and was invested in me. So this isn't a um we didn't we didn't I don't I'm not pregnant at the end of it. So fuck the clinic and you know throw a match onto it. Um I, I felt I, I started talking about this before I kind of knew the outcome. Um and that's why I shared it because there is something about the woman's voice in it of not really being able to speak freely of worry of being judged or reprimanded or treated differently when you're already so vulnerable and I think that's that's the piece that's important that I want to know more about I want to research more about vulnerable vulnerable client great and powerful Oz and a lot of money in the middle of that transit that that uh, relationship what I would say to you is that Take the money aside, perhaps. Well, for sure. Um, it is not uncommon to also hear this relationship dynamic in pregnancy, mm. in experiences of traumatic birth, in experiences of traumatic postpartums, uh, especially around conversations of, you know, breastfeeding, you know, mm. just this power dynamic, this vulnerability and this power dynamic and a feeling of being gagged and silenced and yeah. being the, the the good girl in the room instead of being like this is happening to my body and it's funny so so the bit after our IVF treatment I didn't respond and I still didn't respond but then the abnormal um happening was that I experienced a lot of side effects from the drugs after the fact um so essentially i started bleeding started hemorrhaging i was bleeding for two and a half months um it wasn't a period um it was leaving me woozy it was very painful um it's destroyed more towels and sheets than i can possibly explain um yeah it, it was it was really mad and i remember just saying oh, there's no way they would let a man bleed for 10 weeks and go, mm, I don't know, breakthrough bleeding. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's the equivalent of me, it's a virus. I'm like, what, yeah. what exactly is breakthrough bleeding and why is it happening? And what are we doing about it? And what does, you know, all this, this kind of thing. Um, 
there were so many elements where I go, this isn't right, but I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the expertise to know where to look. So I'm just going to start. And yesterday or the day before, I had a conversation with a healthcare professional and we spoke about IVF, uh, the industry. Um, and I learned, uh, no, they're probably not shocking facts, to be honest with you, but, you know, the uh, the industry side, the business side, um, uh, and that, that side of behind the scenes. And I just found tears streaming down my cheeks, not for me, but for the hundreds, no, I'm talking about hundreds of messages in my inbox on Instagram mm-hmm. from women who put their savings, their marriage, their body, their well-being into their baby project. Some of them walked away with a baby, but a shitload of trauma. Some of them walked away going, enough, I need to put me first. Some of them walked away without their marriage intact. Some of them walked away in shit tons of debt. And just, you know, obviously industries and business and money, but what that means to the people involved, the patients, the clients, it is life changing stuff. It was really, really devastating. What were some of those truths that broke you? suppose the you know a, a business's role function is just to, to make money and I think when I'm entering into something I have to make a decision not to be cynical because you can view everything through that lens so being you know I, I we are still on our journey um drink. we're in between drink and take a sip we're still, you know, in between clinics and I'm going to find it far harder to be not cynical, you know, recommending a treatment that costs 10,000 euro or mm, I think you're going to need whatever. I'm going to do I actually need it. Or are you trying to make a target? Yeah. Um, and the, the truth is in between and I 100% not saying that all doctors are money grabbing whatever. Um, but I do think the umbrella aspect of it, it is an industry. It is a business. I want to thank Carrywell for recognising how important support is to mothers and for providing that support in all shapes and sizes, even podcasts. Their pregnancy and postpartum range is all about comfort, functionality and support. It's not just about clothing. It's like this ongoing experience of well-being that sticks with you from pregnancy all the way through nursing. What is even more impressive is their commitment to the environment. Carrywell has taken significant strides to increase their eco-credentials by incorporating recycled materials into their collection. So not only are you empowered when expecting, feeding and reclaiming your body, but you're also contributing to a more sustainable and eco-friendly approach to motherhood. Embrace the stretch of motherhood confidently with Carrywell. Available to buy now on cleverclogs.ie or check out your nearest stockist. And an industry, so going back to what you said about there's no way we would 
live in a world where men were just able to bleed for weeks on end and kind of dismissed and said, well, look, that's just one of the things. That's just part of it. Not sure. Look, you know, she you're built to bleed, aren't you? You'd be fine. But I get a sense. And again, I'm not I, I'm not isolating reproductive treatment, fertility mm. treatment. I'm isolating women's health yeah. as an entire sector. Mm. Um, after years of these conversations and my own personal experiences. Where it can be commoditized, there is great attention to detail and uh, motivation and mm. investment and studies and research and growth it it is a corporate game how how can how can industries literally be birthed because of what it is that we are physically enabled to do with very little matched when it comes to the female experience yeah yeah how can we go through this and minimize your pain? How can we go through this and minimize your side effects? How can women go through pregnancy and and morning sickness and be minimized of those experiences? These are th- these are things that are not new. They are mm-hmm. literally since the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. And yet we have rockets trying to reach Mars and nobody with power and money willing to really understand how women can experience life and what what we can do here in as minimally distressing a way as possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You hit the nail on the head. And we're, we're, we're going through these different experiences, whether that's childbirth, pregnancy, pregnancy loss, um, fertility struggles, Perfect answer. Yeah, like that's that's even going. You know, there, there's there's so much and there's so much I don't know about, and um, it you know it's it's an area like I said, well certainly in, in the fertility aspect that I'm new to, um, and I'm finding myself looking up more, having the conversations. I I don't how do I say this? You know, I I, I don't want to come up cross because I'm not a conspiracy theorist or you know that they're all out to get us they just want to make money I don't think that's the case but I think there's an element and I think that there is an imbalance of power and ultimately it is to make money and the problem is those patients clients and people trying to conceive are really vulnerable so again that power dynamic it's so so imbalanced and the fallout from that I think can be huge on a person's life. It's not something you go, oh, sure, look, I, I know that was a rough time and you forget it. I, I you know, I'm, it, it's changed. I think it's, well, maybe it's because I am in the thick of it at the moment, but I think it has changed a fundamental part of me or how, what I think about myself or my relationship with myself, that's going to take a lot longer than a few months to, to, repair to renegotiate maybe is the better word um so yeah yeah don't know what else to say on that tell me about your relationship with hope 
because that was a journey too. Um, I think, um, and I, I wrote, I wrote a post about this. Um, I find hope to be the most intimate part of all of this. Um, and someone close to me gave, uh, gave me a really good analogy that I'm going to absolutely butcher. So she said, when people, when people tell you to be hopeful and you just need to have hope and you just need to believe in, you know, any sort of language around hope, because I feel like my hope is a balloon and they're throwing it up in the air and they're batting it across my head. And I just want to say, stop, put it down. You're going to burst it. So what I took from that is hope so fragile. It's so precious. It's so personal. I don't like, I don't feel comfortable explaining or handing it over to someone or, to, or someone else being glib about it, but saying you just need to have hope. So I don't think that it answers your question, but I think maybe it gives you the context of how I feel about that word. Um, I'm definitely being accused of being negative or pre-grieving or, you know, not having hope. But the reality is no one would do this just for the crack. No one will put themselves through this. So obviously I have hope, but that hope I share with my husband when his arm is safely around me and the lights are out and we can speak in that bubble of intimacy between a couple. You know, that that, that freedom that maybe you wouldn't speak with in, in day to day. It is. That's what hope. That's where hope belongs for me. I find it hard to let it pass the mouth. Um, because it feels fragile, because there are so many other external elements that are challenging that. And those elements are doctors telling you, mm, you have two to three percent, whatever that is. You know, they're, they're you know, um, your medical results from your last two, three rounds that tell you mm, that hasn't worked. It's not, you know, so there's so much that I feel can be damaged by hope. Um, actually, it's really funny. I've always kind of had this relationship with hope and pinned on my notice board. Um, it's one of my favourite poems. Hope is the thing with feathers um, that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. So I nurture my hope, but I recognise that it's it can be pretty fragile. And certainly in the last couple of months, uh, it has taken a battering. But I do love this Emily Dickinson poem and it's certainly worth uh having a little read of for anyone who's kind of struggling with their relationship with hope and, and what that means to them. Where are you at now? Where am I at now? I am in the messy, messy middle. Actually, I don't think I'm at the middle. I think I'm kind of middling towards the end. Um, it's a really messy place. It's a really messy place. We are in between treatments. Um, I am feeling the uh, emotional, mental um, knock-on effects quite a lot, quite quite keenly at the moment, more so than I did, uh, you know, a month ago. Um, but yeah, I'm really feeling it at the moment. Um, and I, I think, well, that's one of the reasons why I agreed to talk about it and indeed to do this podcast, because I think to hear someone talking from the messy middle is something that I would have benefited from. Benefited from. Um, I don't know the outcome. 
I don't know if in a year's time I will either be pregnant or with a child or um, moving my life around, to tweaking it to, to what I want to achieve or what I want it to look like. Um, both will be fine. All will be fine. I will be fine either way, but it is an awareness that this journey doesn't always lead to a happy ending. And again, I really appreciate messages of, oh, please God, this time next year, you'll have your little baby in your arms. I'm kind of going, I hope so too. There you go. Hope <laughs> slips out. Um, I, I hope that's the outcome too. But if it's not, I'm still Claire and I'm still whatever I believe about myself. And I'm going to work really hard at solidifying those things and um, not letting not letting not being a mother take away from that um does not define any of us no Mm, no it is a very i think we are in a and i was given a word by helena tuberty and now totally lost it uh a mother centered and you need some support helena is wonderful she really, really, really is. I can't sing her praises enough. Um, but we do, I think, consciously or unconsciously. Um, I think mothers are heroes. I, like I have two sisters. Um, both of them are mothers. And, you know, each child represented a really different stage for my sisters. And I think the strength and resilience women show is it is otherworldly. It is of legends and goddesses and it is, it's making the hair in the, the back of my neck stand up. It is quite astounding. Um, but I, yeah, I think to 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 say to say that I I would consider myself to be a lesser person because I'm not a mother. Um, it might be a little bit of a fear, but there's a a bias in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't have the words to articulate that that properly yet. Um, there's there would be definitely be a fear. So in this messy stage that I'm in now, uh, life is kind of paused, to be honest with you. I'm finding it difficult to concentrate on work. Um, that tab open in the back of my brain drains so much battery. Um, even if I don't have doctor's appointments or I'm not actively doing something at the minute regarding fertility treatment, but it leaves no space for creativity. Um, it it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of patience. <laughs> I wasn't given a lot of patience to begin with, so it's not super. Um, it's a really, really, really messy stage. And it's like the worst January ever, ever. It's really compounded by that. It's like an eternal January. It's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. So, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. It's shite. <laughs> Everything is is everything is longer when you're waiting for an outcome. Yeah, and like th- there is so much fear, and fear is a subject I'm really trying to explore at the moment. Everything has become so fear motivated, motivated by fear. Um, I'm afraid it won't happen, or I'm afraid of things like really bizarre. So the storm on Sunday night, Isha. Um, I lay in bed. I'm like, I'm really scared of the wind. That's not me. Mm-hmm. And I I stopped and I, I wrote a little note in my journal beside my bed and kind of came back to it in the morning going, what is like what is happening? What what is being held so tightly that is now manifesting in 
being scared by wind yeah. I think it does come back to fear that that of like of uncertainty of not knowing the outcome of being afraid of a potential outcome or even the other potential outcome what can go wrong of being so consumed by all these things and um, and that's something that I would have been pretty good at managing before and it just seems like all bets are off mm-hmm. at the moment I think it's it's often a consequence of physical vulnerability hmm. if you are vulnerable physically in yes we can put it into the tab folder of IVF reproduction yeah. but your body knows your body feels it it doesn't it doesn't say oh yes but not because of that because of this yeah yes yeah. yeah and obviously there's you know so much in this podcasts and so many um resources on nervous system um at the moment well, there always has been but certainly I think there's a greater awareness of it um but that's exactly something that that, I, that I've said, you know, fear or whether that's lack of confidence or, you know, however way it shows up for you. It doesn't just stay contained into, right, motherhood. Will I be a parent? It dribbles into maybe I'm not a great writer. Mm-hmm. Maybe that book was a fluke or I shouldn't have been nominated for that award that I was really proud of two months ago. Now I'm second doubting it. Or maybe my friends don't, you know, it gets, it can get really, really ridiculous, but it does seep. It's quite insidious. And and suddenly I find, you know, it kind of these images of like vines slowly wrapping around, like all the pillars in your life, all the things that you believe to be true about yourself, about other people. It's kind of thwarting it. So, I think that is probably the biggest learning of fertility whilst I knew what the journeys looked like by proxy from having seen friends go through it. I had no clue at how it shakes the core of pretty much everything in your life. Everything. I started this conversation by referencing how much I admired how you speak about this topic. I think if anybody has not witnessed that before, but has now listened to this podcast, understands fully what I mean. You mentioned just before I hit record something that was said to you, which helps guide how you choose to speak about it. Which was it about the scar or the wound? Oh, yeah. Um, Someone recommended a very wise person speak from the scar and not from the wound. And I went, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, wait till it's till the time has passed. And then I started posting stuff. And I went, nah, fake it. Speaking from the wound. And, and she just laughed. But I actually, I think there is a value to it. And like, I know today, I am not my most articulate words. Just feel just a little bit beyond reach. And I'm also, I think, moving into a new stage of what I'm thinking about in terms of fertility at the moment. I'm really consumed about the industry and the the injustice and, the, you know, whatever inequality in it. So that is something that I'm still reading when I haven't fully formed my opinions or where to go with this. So <laughs> my words aren't all that concise. But I do think that there is something about sharing, like that wound hasn't even had a chance to scab yet. And that is a really scary, really vulnerable place to be. And it can definitely play tricks with your mind. And a couple of months ago, I 
contacted Kathy Strict from Grief Ireland and she was putting up stuff um, about, you know, what podcast would you like to see? And I said, have you anything on someone who is going through fertility or infertility, subfertility stuff? And she went, no, not oh, shit. Yeah. Do you want to talk about oh, shit? And it's exactly what I needed. Someone who is in that message, someone who hasn't packaged it neatly in, in their mind and have the really beautifully encapsulating words attached to it. I'm here. I, I'm grasping uh, words. I'm I'm recognizing imagery that's coming to my head. And, and, and that's how I process. None of this is neat at the moment. None of it. I can say one thing one hour and totally contradict myself in the next hour because it is oscillating between different feelings, different emotions. Um, one, I'll, I'll finish on one thing. Um, I again in in, in a week in October, I, I shared content content on my Instagram page solely around subfertility and the different elements of it. And one of them was all the feelings, all the emotions, and one girl one woman said uh yeah I just found it really overwhelming and then sad then I was happy and then I was brave and then I was courageous and you know she listed this thing and said okay and how did you feel the next minute like it is so overwhelming like roller coaster obviously is the cliche but uh I don't even think that does it justice you say you're grasping at words and that you're not as <laughs> eloquent as you may want to be right now Claire I I need you to know that that is your body lying to you okay, okay. because okay. everything that you have said is truthful it is honest it is courageous and it is the messy middle it is what is missing from the narrative mm. we cannot just have capitalist promises and mm. perfect outcomes that cannot be the, the thesaurus of fertility. We need so many voices because even somebody's mess, somebody else's messy middle is not the same as your messy middle. And, and they can't be um, sanitized by live, love, laugh platitudes either. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I met a person recently and they said, how are you doing? I said, fucking shit. Yeah. And she laughed. And I said, actually, I learned that from you. And I said, I remember asking before, how are you doing? And you said, I'm not doing great. Mm-hmm. I said, I really admired that about you. And that is something I've really appreciated if someone has, I won't say strength, but the confidence maybe to hold space for you without trying to fix, mm-hmm. without trying to go, like, I understand hearing someone say, this is really hard. I feel heartbroken. I feel very disempowered. I'm worried my marriage is going to have, it's going to have knock-on effects on my relationship. I am, you know, if I loved someone and they told me that, I, I'd go into desperate fixer mode. I don't want my loved person to feel this way. Mm-hmm. So like, what can we do? But actually, when you're on the other side of that, there's very little they can do. But I need you I need them not to invalidate all these feelings. I'm a smart woman. I know I might feel differently tomorrow. I know that they are probably irrational. I know that they are caused by whatever, whatever, whatever. But in that moment, this is how things are. 
Um, I just feel that that rush to, again, I sanitize keeps coming back just to make it neat and tidy. Usher, look, please God, or oh, you just have to be hopeful or all these things. It just feels so, so, so dismissive. And that's, I think, why I'm almost aggressively honest. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not optimistic or hopeful somewhere. But everyone's really comfortable with that. So I tend to lean into <laughs> the other side. That means I'm very comfortable with it too. And I champion it. We, as a, be, beyond motherhood, we as women need to get really comfortable with expressing exactly what it is that we're feeling in every given moment, yeah. including this. Life is real. What happens to us is real. It is not to be minimized to save how other people need to feel. Um, we are all living our very real. And this is why it was called stretch marks. Like we are going through stretches at different stages and levels and capacities. And every single one of them leaves their mark on us. Mm. And this is a stretch for you. And when you're in it, have the permission to express it in whatever way feels true and safe for you. Because for some, being as open and honest as you are may not feel safe for them. That might be pushing them into a, a, a different level of nervous system discomfort. So don't go there. Tune in to you. And what do you need from this moment? And live by that. Because otherwise, we are just setting ourselves up for a lifetime of illness if we just keep suppressing everything down. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the other part of that is be brutal in protecting where you're at. Um, my my sister gave birth to my uh, beautiful little nephew, Billy, a week ago today. And uh, just, you know, a week before that, we, we were talking about protecting energy and she's my God, she's a giver and takes care of a lot of people, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I said, you know, you have to be brutal like the bubble, because this is a special time for you. It is stressful. It is exciting. And it's funny. Um, I could almost imagine my husband kind of listening to me say this to her and going, oh, yeah, that's what you want to do for yourself, will you? You know, uh, I was well able to do like that advice and believe in it vehemently um, when it comes to me. Uh, you know, things slip through the cracks, but it is going, well, this is a vulnerable time and spending energy outside yourself maybe isn't the best use of your energy at the moment. Mm -hmm. If you're home upset, if you are, you know, obviously this is going to vary from person to person, but it is having the confidence to pull up the drawbridge mm -hmm. that is not was protective mm -hmm. because actually what you're doing is a marathon that is a huge huge event in your life even if people don't see or recognize it there you've done us a service oh my goodness thank you so much for having me on to chat i wish you love and i wish you answers and i wish you clarity and i wish you the team around you that most importantly you can trust thank you very much the outcome is not ours to tell but i wish you all of those things as you move away from the messy middle and into whatever life has in store next. But thank you and keep talking. 
Thank you. I will. Claire, thank you for your courage and your dignity and the way you can express this personal experience. If you want to connect with Claire, you can find her on Instagram on at Claire Walsh Life. I'll also have a link in the show notes. And if this episode supported you, I would love to hear from you. I know it can be difficult to publicly share sometimes, but my DMs are always open. I believe in these conversations and your actions make a huge difference. You have the power to help this show grow and reach new highs by sharing on your socials or in your WhatsApp groups and by hitting the subscribe button. Extra love as always for anyone who leaves an Apple or Spotify review. It all makes a huge difference. I'll talk to you again next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.